Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. It's great to be back here. We had a great time with the men last night and this morning early, and I just want to say how much we love and appreciate your pastors and, and uh, the relationship we've shared all these years. Um, goes back to the 90s and uh, the early 90s, and uh, just some tremendous things have happened in their lives, our lives since then. You know, life is a process. Life is not, life is not just going from one experience to another experience. It's, it's, the Bible says to walk by faith. It's a walk of faith, right? Your steps, your steps are ordered of the Lord, right? It's steps. It's not leaps. It's not experiences. It's not jumping from this dimension to another dimension. I mean, you can get a real flowery words and, and all kinds of uh, mumbo jumbo, but the Bible is the best way to look at it. Why? Because the Bible's eternal. Amen. The word of God is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away is what Jesus said. I believe that. I'm a Bible guy. Thank God your pastors are Bible people. And it's important that the Word of God becomes the primary source of your strength, your wisdom, your knowledge in your life. Why? Because heaven and earth, everything, cultures, lifestyles, this group, that group, they're gonna pass away. But God's Word never passes away. It remains the same. Why? Because He doesn't change. Amen? Aren't you, aren't you glad that you can be in relationships where people are not flippant and don't change week to week, day to day, month to month, you know, like, like your friends did in school. You had this group of friends this year, you, you go over the summer break and you come back next year, you don't even recognize these people that you were good friends with last year. Why? Because they got caught up in a culture. They got caught up in, in, in just fads and trends. Well, I learned a long time ago that the, the, the last three letters of trend is not good. Amen? It's just not good. So there's an end to all trends. Then the Bible and Christianity should not be a trend in your life. It should be what you soak your life into. You know, I, I, I shared some of this last night with the men, but I wasn't raised in a godly home. I wasn't raised in church. My parents never took us to church. My parents never opened the Bible. My parents never prayed with us. Oh, they might pray at night. They taught us that, that <clears throat> such a great prayer for children. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, that's really what you want to train your children? Because children are thinking about that. If You mean I could die during the night? That prayer is not in the Bible. It got quiet. Did my microphone go off? I said, that prayer is not in the Bible. A lot of people think that stuff is in the Bible because it's repeated over and over again. Do you know that there's spiritual propaganda just like there's leftist propaganda? There's socialist propaganda, which is going on big time right now. But there's spiritual propaganda. In other words, it's lies. Things get repeated over and over again, and people believe it. And that, that, that's why you need to be a Bible person. Because the Bible is the same. It's God's word. The Bible is very clear. It says, it says uh, very simply, all scripture. Say all scripture. All scripture. Not, all, not every other scripture, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration means God breathed. God breathed every scripture. He spoke it. 
Think about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, that's Jesus. Jesus is the Word. So Jesus didn't just show up December 25th on a manger. He's always been. He's always existed with the Godhead. Amen. And every word that God spoke, the word went forth and created. That was Jesus going forth. And Jesus is the creator. Jesus went forth and created things. He created you. He created me with the word that had power, that had authority. Amen. So that's why I believe in the word. I, I, I live by the word. So I, what changed my life from getting out of, of, of my, my mom who was an alcoholic and a drug addict and our dad who was a deadbeat dad and my parents separated when I was four and didn't divorce till I was 12 and led us through all kinds of chaos, didn't pay child support, didn't take care of us because he was addicted to gambling. He was a rodeo champion and rodeo cowboys hall of fame and all, all kinds of stuff all over the, uh, all over the United States and, and, and earned millions of dollars in his business, but yet never, ever paid child support. My dad was in movies with Audie Murphy and John Wayne, movies like McClintock. Those, you know, they're regularly shown all the time. My dad's in that movie. My dad's in several cowboy and, and Indian movies. He's a, he was the Indian that shot Custer in the movie called The Great Sioux Massacre. It's Custer's last stand. And uh, my brother and I still have a, a picture of him uh, as an Indian. He played a cowboy and an Indian in that movie, and most of them he did, because he had some Indian blood in him. But he's shooting an arrow, and he's the, he's, his is the last arrow that Custer finally fell with. You know those old Western movies? You know, Custer had like 60 arrows in him, you know. You know, those guys, they got shot 14 times, but they're, they're still standing, you know, and, and, and it, it, it's, it's so bad. But anyway, but my dad's arrow was the last arrow that, that took Custer to the ground. And we, we have a picture of him at Old, Old Tucson Studios in Arizona. He's, he's behind the neck of the horse, protecting himself, shooting the arrow under the neck of the horse, bareback. That's how good a horseman he was. So my dad was very gifted and very talented, and he's in all these halls of fame, but he's not in the dad hall of fame. He's not in the husband hall of fame. So I didn't grow up in a, in a, in a godly environment. I didn't grow up in a, in, a, in a Christian environment at all. I grew up in a very carnal, very trust in yourself environment. But when I got saved, my brother and I got saved three weeks apart. When we got saved, we actually started reading the Bible. And we started reading this Bible and we didn't recognize the Bible in any of our Christian friends at school. Why? Because they weren't Bible people. And they didn't change. You know that the word of God has the power to change you. The word of God has the power to transform you. It's the Greek word metamorpho. There's a spiritual metamorphosis that takes place when you look into the word of God and you dress your life by the word instead of dressing your life by the world. Amen. 
So that's why I don't act like the world, look like the world, talk like the world, smell like the world, drink what the world drinks, smoke what the world drinks or smokes. Why? Because I'm a Bible guy and I see that all that is trendy, all that is, is gonna pass away. I only want the things that I can sink my teeth into. And you say, well, you're a preacher. It's obvious that you love the word. It's obvious that you put the word first. I, long before I was a preacher, I put the word first. I'm a preacher because I can't help it. Because God called me. But that's not what put me over the top. What put me over the top was the word. Amen? I still carry a Bible. I still look to the Bible. I still have tattered pages in my Bible because I, I study it and I, and I look at it. I've got tape all through this Bible because I've taped it up because I've turned over and over again. I'm not bragging, I'm just saying it's important that you be a Bible person. Come on, somebody. Now, you know, your device works, that's fine, but it's important that you, you, know, you can take notes and that you can write things down and that you study and you see, see some of this stuff more than face value. You actually study it. You actually study it. Hope you have your Bibles this morning. Turn to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. I've got some CDs up here I wanna give away at the end of the service. Somebody remind me and you might get one except you folks in the cheap seats. We, we, we don't give anything to the cheap seats. But Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. That's the King James Version. This is the Amplified on the screen. I call it the female version because it's three times as long. It's more detailed. And that's why Darlene, my wife, says that's why you love it so much. And I do love it. What the Amplified translators have done, they've gone in and they've taken some of these words and they've looked at the Greek or the Hebrew, in this case, the Hebrew definitions, and they've pulled out those definitions and brought more clarity. So that's why it says, where there is no vision or no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. Now we're gonna stop right there and break this down and look at this carefully. Clearly the word is not talking here about eyesight. Because we all know people or know of people, may have friends, family, that have lost their eyesight, but they didn't die, they didn't perish. So it's not referring to physical death and it's also not referring to eyesight. It's talking about spiritual vision. Eyesight is a function of your body. Vision is a function of the spirit. And it's necessary that we see the importance of vision because vision is a living spiritual organism. That's why the devil's against vision. Because it's a living spiritual organism that will change you and transform your life. I learned a long time ago if I can say it, I can see it. And God uses that terminology and that truth and that principle throughout the word of God. That's why he wants us to say the word. Let the weak say, I am. Let the poor say, I am. He wants you to say it because if you can say it, you can see it. It's very important. Now I want to prove it to you. I want to prove how this works. 
Everybody close your eyes. You don't have to hold on to your wallet or anything. Close your eyes. Pink elephant, open your eyes. Did anybody see a red Corvette? Did you see Mickey Mouse? Did you see Bugs Bunny? What did you see? A pink elephant. Words create vision. So if you say it, you can see it. That's why it's important to speak the word of God, to share the word of God. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's important to speak the word of God, to read the word out loud because it will show you things. It will give you vision. It will give you purpose. He'll show you things. He'll reveal it to you. So it says where there is no vision or redemptive revelation. Now we don't use this terminology today redemptive revelation. So let's break it down. The word redemptive is a, it, it's really a pretty simple word. We're gonna see it really clearly here in a second. But redemptive is referring to what has been paid for, what has been bought. What do you think the root word of redemptive is? Redeem, thank you. Redeem. But even, we even need to break this word down because we rarely use this terminology today. Re is a prefix of this word. Re means again. So when we relive, we live something again. We react, that means we act again. Um, we retool, that means we, we, we start over with our tools and, and our processes. So that word is used, that prefix is used a lot in hundreds if not thousands of, of ways. So the word redeem, again, we don't use the word deem, but it means something of value or worth. It means to pay. So we use the word redeem to mean it's been paid for again. It has value again. Do you see that? John 3.16 explains redemption easily. The easiest way you can read it in the Bible. The Pauline epistles are, are great detail about it, but the, the simplest form of redemption is for God so loved the world. He so valued the world that he gave his only begotten son. God valued you and me so much that he gave his best gift. Even though man rejected him in the garden, the very first place, man rejected God in the garden. Man rejected God, therefore he brought the flood. Man rejected God over and over again. Sodom and Gomorrah, he destroyed them. We see this, how God has always redeemed mankind, but what did he do? Even though man rejected him, God still wanted to salvage as many people as he could. He salvaged Noah's family. He salvaged Lot and his family out of his Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know that God so loves the world that he's gonna salvage you and me before the earth is consumed with fire? He values us so much that he gave us his only begotten son. He gave of his own creation. He gave of his own Godhead to buy us back from Satan's grasp. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, 
that for by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so that death passed upon all men. That's the, the Paul's letter to the Romans. What one man allowed sin into the, all the world? Adam. So that death passed upon all men. So Adam was the gatekeeper to keep sin out of the earth. Adam was the first G-O-D, little G-O-D, God of this world. He was not big G-O-D. He was the first God of this world or he was the first keeper or landlord, gatekeeper of the earth. Now we know that Satan is. But even though he yielded that to Satan, the Bible also says in Romans chapter five, for by one man was salvation and did salvation or redemption come into the earth. And that was by one Jesus Christ. It even says by Jesus Christ. So God has a plan of redemption for mankind to buy us back. He's done it once and for all. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and, and, and chapter 11, that what Jesus did, he did it once and for all. In other words, he doesn't ever have to do it again. God lo loved the world so much that he gave us his best gift. He gave us his best so we could receive his best. So he gave us his best gift, Jesus. He did it once and for all. It doesn't ever have to be done again. We just trust on the name of Jesus and believe on his name and we are redeemed, hallelujah. That means we don't have to pay the price for our past sins that Jesus paid our price, hallelujah. And therefore we can be received by the Father at the right hand. The Bible says we are as born again people, we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians chapter two. We have been seated with him because we've been redeemed by him. That makes sense? In other words, we're no longer strangers to him. We're no longer strangers to God. We have been received by him. So redemptive, and this redemptive revelation is telling us this is what we have. And if we don't have this understanding, we'll perish. Because we've rejected his redemption. We've rejected his gift. If we don't receive what he's given us and we resist it, we're doomed. But when we receive what he what he's, has, has given to us and he wants to show us things, through revelation, then it's real simple. We won't perish. In other words, we, we could name this message the power of redemptive revelation. We could also name it how to perish proof your life. Because God wants to show you something, and that's our next word. The word, it's still got the prefix on it. The word revelation. We don't use this word a lot, but the word revelation is significantly tied to the word redemption. What do you think the root word of revelation is? Reveal, thank you. Were you in the first service? No, I'm just kidding. Again, the prefix re, which means again. So it's not talking about calf meat, veal, beef, it means to show or to see. The word revelation itself means a picture 
of the future. So what God is telling us here is if we would have vision, in other words, spiritual eyesight, if you will, spiritual vision, he wants to show us things to come that we need to see. And if we can't see where we're going in the future, we're gonna perish. Why? Because the enemy has laid traps for every one of us. Doesn't matter who we are, and it's not the same trap for all of us. Because the trap the devil has for me, you wouldn't fall into because you would see it differently. And the same thing vice versa. So the devil has traps for every one of us, but God, gives us a picture of the future. I'm gonna give you an illustration at the, at the end of my message today that will identify what I'm talking about. God gives you a picture of the future. He wants to show you things to come. He wants to reveal things to you in advance. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and this will help us with understanding of how the Lord shows us things to come in the scriptures. We see this here. Now when Jesus went, verse, verse 13, into the re region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, who do people say that I am? And they answered, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and what's not listed here, some say you're the devil. I mean, they called Jesus all kinds of stuff. But it, it says, he said to them, but who do you yourselves say that I am? In other words, you're my disciples, who do you think I am? And Simon Peter spoke up, he's the, he's the only one that responded, and I'm sure he responded quickly, but look at what he says. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now why is that such a big deal? Because all of their lives as Jews, they've been taught about Messiah. They've been taught about the deliverer, the savior to come. And even though most people rejected Jesus when he came, Peter says, you're him. And we read right over this in the, in the King James, New King James, and even the Amplified, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We want to religiously state it, but basically Peter is saying, you're him. You're the one we've been taught of our whole lives. You're the one that's been taught about for thousands of years. You're him. Peter's the first one who got that revelation. It's not recorded anywhere else. And this is Matthew 16. This is not Matthew 3 when Jesus first appeared as an adult. This is Matthew 16, and Peter's the first one who says this. You're him. You're the deliverer. And notice Jesus' response here in verse 15. Then Jesus said, blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood are men 
did not reveal or have not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, it's inferred that people didn't teach you this, people didn't show you this, but my Father revealed this to you. My Father showed this to you. That was a big deal. Notice what it goes on and says. And I tell you, you are Peter. In Greek, that means, it's the, it's the word petros, which means piece of rock. But upon this rock, in the Greek, means petra, he's talking about, what rock is he talking about? He's at Caesarea Philippi, it is a big, massive rock, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, upon this rock of revelation, of truth, will I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Or it says in the Amplified, the, the gates of Hades, the powers of the infernal region, shall not overpower it. Will not overpower what? The revelation of God's word. In other words, they can take Bibles from you and they can burn them. But they can't take the revelation of who God is out of your life when you have a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. That's what Jesus is saying. When Peter said, you're him, Jesus was responding and said, and nobody can take that away from you. And because you have that revelation that my father gave to you, even hell can't remove this from you. And there's a lot of other scripture that bears that out. But it's necessary that we see that. It's necessary that we, we know that deep inside. That's why what we read in Proverbs 29, 18 is so critical. If we don't have that redemptive revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for us, what he's done, he's transformed my life from a rodeo cowboy's son, an addicted uh, uh, mother's son, to a man of God. Come on, somebody. And you have your redemptive stories as well. And God has transformed you and changed you and transformed you from something less to something more. Hallelujah. He saved me from something. You know what I still have family members that drink and smoke dope? I still have family members. I, I, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know your family tree, but I promise you I have just as many nuts in mine as you do yours. I've got an aunt that's been married nine times. Found the same, found, found uh, th uh, uh, two different husbands at the same bar. <laughs> now I may have shared this story here last year, but you know, I'm not the smartest guy in Texas, I'm top five, but I'm not the smartest guy. But what kind of an upstanding husband do you think you're gonna find at a bar called the Pink Poodle. <laughs> she found two husbands there. I mean, what kind of a, what, I mean, you don't think of a Texan, a male Texan, these are probably just transplants, not real Texans, pull into a pink asphalt parking lot with hot pink stripes, parking spaces, go into a pink building, 
with a tall pink neon sign that's lit all night long and these, these pink poodles are you know, moving and barking back and forth. What kind of husband do you think you're gonna find inside that bar? She was probably already drunk when she went in there the first time. But my, my point is this. I still have family that heard the same word my brother and I heard, but they didn't change. Why? Because they didn't embrace it. It was just up here. Oh, they, 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 can, they can quote the word. And during praise and worship time, they'll cry. And they can't pray without tuning up. Whoa, tuning up, you know what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? In other words, it's religious. It's not real. And their kids know it's not real. So their kids, my cousins, they live a fraudulent life. And even their kids, prison, incest, divorce, crime, suicides, on and on. Why? Because the devil will eat your lunch and pop your sack if you don't have redemptive revelation of who you are in Christ, you will perish. There's a real devil out there. And in your natural ability, your natural smarts is not enough. I told young people this for decades. I did over a thousand public school assemblies in all over America and Canada. Smarter people than you prettier people than you, more intelligent people than you, wealthier people than you. They did it their way, they didn't make it. Who do you think you are? You won't make it either. I played college football with guys that bench press over 500 pounds, ran super fast 40 yard dashes, played in the NFL, all American in college. They've perished, many of them because your bench press doesn't match what the devil has laid for you in the traps. Come on, somebody. We think we're, we, we can be just pious enough and just religious enough to make it. No, you will perish if you don't have redemptive revelation and knowledge and a placement of who you are in Christ. In other words, if you're not walking in your position, the devil can take you out. Just like that. I see it all the time. God has not purposed us as Christians to live a survivor kind of life, but a more than conqueror kind of life. A reigning in life in Christ Jesus kind of life. Come on, somebody. It's not God's will for you to always be sick and always be broke and always be depressed. That's the devil's plan. That's not God's plan for your life. God has victory for you. God has prosperity for you. Our children have never tasted poverty. Sometimes my son will call me, he works, he works at my brother's church and he'll call me on a Sunday night and he'll be crying. Or sometimes on his way home from church. He'll call me, he's crying. He's 6'3". He was All-State in three sports a senior in high school. He was uh, All-American in basketball. He's not a crier. 
So when he's crying, I know something is serious. And I'll ask him, Chris, everybody okay? The, you know, the baby's okay, et cetera. Yeah, dad, it's not that. He'll say, dad, I had, I had no idea. Had, had no idea. Because my brother sharing stories of our childhood in the service that day was the first time my son ever heard some of those stories. That, that, that I, I didn't know that. I had no idea. You know why our son doesn't have an idea of all the things I went through? Because that's not what we raised him on. We raised him on the word. We raised our daughter on the word. They've never heard most of these stories. I tell them uh, in, in public because it helps people realize that God can pull you out of any situation. And there are people that had it worse than we did. We, did, we just heard this one last year. Our uncle, who is my dad's brother, while my dad was on a long rodeo trip, it was during the school year, I was just one or two. My brother's four years older. He would have been in at least first or second grade. My dad was on this long trip. So our uncle, who lived in the same small town in the Texas Panhandle, he came by just to check on us because he hadn't heard from my mom. And so he pulls up in the front of the house. He comes up the steps and up elevated yard, comes up on the porch, knocks on the door, and he smells gas. Knocked on the door again, no answer. So he peeked through the curtains of the big picture window in the, on the porch and he saw that my mom had made a pallet on the floor in the kitchen. He could see through the living room into the kitchen. And she was laying on the floor and both of us were laying on the floor. And she'd opened the oven. She turned on the burners, blown out the pilot light. She's trying to kill herself and us. So him being, he was a army ranger in World War II and fought the Nazis in Germany. But he was also experienced with natural gas and petroleum products. He knew how dangerous that was. So he knew he couldn't cause a spark. He couldn't break a window or, or break a, the front door in case there's some type of a spark. So he went around on the farthest bedroom window. He climbed up on the window, raised the window, climbed through the window, immediately opened all the doors and windows as much as he could, turned off the gas from behind the stove and drug us to the, the doorways so we could get air. But he had to do CPR on my mom because her heart stopped beating. My brother and I had gas asphyxiation, meaning we were blowing purple bubbles. That's what happens. In other words, our mom tried to kill us. I didn't even know that till a little over a year ago. My son heard that story for the first time. Dad, I had no idea. You see, Satan has come for one reason, to steal, 
and to kill and destroy. Notice, if you'll look at John 10, 10 later, it says and, it doesn't say or. There's not commas. It's steal and kill and destroy. That's his purpose. He's trying to steal and kill and destroy from your life. And he never plays fair. Come on, somebody. But God. Jesus said, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, life is the Greek word zoe that means the full expression of life, full expression of health, full expression of blessing. That's what we taught our children. Our children have never received, never ever done without. They've never had to eat raw spaghetti because their mom didn't come home from the club early enough to fix your supper. They've never had to eat Spam, Vienna sausage. Like I told the guys last night, if you eat Spam and Vienna sausage, number one, you can't read the fine print. Number two, you can't smell. <laughs> Probably number, number three, it's because you douse it with ketchup and all kinds of other stuff, barbecue sauce, whatever, sweet stuff, because it's so nasty. Come on. It comes from all the leftover ingredients from the pork. Jews don't eat Spam. Jews don't eat Vienna sausage. Why? Because it's nasty. Anyway, that's how we grew up, but our kids didn't grow up in that environment. Our grandkids I've got seven grandkids. None of our grandkids have tasted poverty. None of them have tasted fear. None of, none of them have had to wonder if their mom was gonna come home in time to fix them supper. They've never had to wonder where their dad was. They've never had a doubt that, that they couldn't go to Kohl's or, or Dillard's or, 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 or Macy's and, and buy school clothes. They've never, they've never had to worry about, about who's gonna pay their tuition for this. Or, now, don't misunderstand me. You know, they're old enough to work. They're, they work manual labor. They work hard. And number one grandson just graduated from Air Force uh, BMT or, or uh, school and is now at tech school in Mississippi. Number two grandson leaves tomorrow for San Diego to, to join the Marine Corps. So these are tough guys. These are, you know, they're athletes and they've studied and they, they, wanna, they wanna serve our country. That's been in their heart for years. So, but God has always protected them. God has always taken care of them. God has always provided for them. Why? Because we taught our children the word, not the world. The world is the counterfeit. So let's stick with the word. Hallelujah, because it's the real thing. Look, look on at, at, this, at this next word. So he, he told us, you are Peter, you're a piece of rock, but my word is a massive rock. And look back up one verse if you would, to verse 18. Your word is the massive rock. It's like Gibraltar. This rock of revelation is like Gibraltar. It cannot move. I talked about Gibraltar in the first service. You ought to get the recording. But I've been on the top of Gibraltar three times. 
It's this massive rock. It can't be moved. The Germans tried to bomb it from the air because the Brits have always had armories up there and armament up there, cannon up there to protect the Strait of Gibraltar, which is only 18 miles wide. And I've been up on, the, on that mountain several times. You, this windy road and the Barbary apes are up there that, that the Muslims uh, left up there uh, that brought them over from Africa and, and North Africa. And, and, and they're, they're wild apes is what they are. They're a lot like baboons. And uh, you, you, you're, you, you, uh, they'll, they'll kill you. I mean, they'll, they'll bite you and kill you. And there's a lot of uh, disease in them, et cetera, et cetera. But here's my point. That rock of Gibraltar is massive. It can't be moved. And Jesus just likened, likened or related the rock of Revelation, not to Gibraltar itself, but to a massive mountain that can't be moved. And that's what the rock of Revelation will do for your life. In other words, when you have that redemptive revelation and you know who you are in Christ, that can't change. It can't be moved. And the next verse, what's this next verse? What does it say to us? That I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do keys represent? Authority. I'm giving you the authority to heaven. This is not the third heaven capitalized where God lives. This is the keys to the kingdom of the sky. Remember what John the Baptist said in Matthew 3? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 4, Jesus plagiarized John the Baptist. He said the same thing. Jesus' very first message he ever preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Talking about the sky, the heavenlies. What's he saying? John the Baptist was saying, Jesus was saying, the way you serve God in the past will no longer work. I'm giving you authority over your airspace. That's where all the demonic influences, that's where the spiritual warfare takes place. And I'm giving you authority over that airspace. Somebody say glory. I'm giving you that kind of authority and that kind of power. Notice it says, and whatsoever you bind, or declare to be improper and unlawful on earth is what is bound in heaven. In other words, you bind it on earth, it's now bound in the heavenlies. Come on, somebody. What you loose or release on earth is now released in the heavenlies. So get busy over your airspace. Your words have power, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The Bible says that, that in Proverbs 18, 20, but science has now proven that our words never die. They go into the ether or the atmosphere and they never die. Get busy with speaking the word over your life into the heavenlies because your angels are looking to help you. Your angels are looking for opportunity yes. to join with the words that you speak. The Bible says in Psalm 102, it says that your angels who are mighty in strength, they're not little cupids. They're not little babies wearing diapers, strumming harps. 
Come on, somebody. Your angel is a mighty spiritual being. What do they do? They hearken unto the word of the voice of the Lord. They hearken to the word. Did you hear that? If you're not speaking the word, they got nothing to hearken to. So when you speak the word and you declare the word, you, you, you pray the word, you pray the word and, and speak the word. Jesus said it this way, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now that's, that's Mark eleven twenty three. 23. I wanna show you, I wanna show you, I didn't share this in the first service. I wanna show you what those three words say are. There are three words say or saith in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. But there's three different Greek words. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, that word say is this Greek word right here, epo. Epo. The word epo in Greek means to command. Whosoever shall command his mountain. Come on, that makes a whole different mentality. In other words, you don't have a dialogue with your mountain. You tell your mountain where to go. What's your mountain? I don't know, what is your mountain? Is it debt? Is it fear? Is it sickness? Is it disease? Is it relationship problems? You speak to your mountain. You command it where to go. Amen. What are you doing? You're binding. You're binding. You're binding on earth and it will be bound in heaven. Are you getting this? You speak to that mountain. He says, so you say to your mountain, be removed, be thou cast in the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he saith. Here's the second Greek word. Same word in English, but here it is. L-A-L-E-O, laleo. That word means to boldly declare. But you believe those things which you boldly declare. In other words, you command your mountain, get out of the way, get out of my life. Fear I dismiss you in Jesus' name and then have a scripture for what you're saying. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Come on. What are you doing? You're commanding your mountain. But you boldly declare, thank you, Lord, that I don't have the spirit of fear. I have the spirit of power, the spirit of, of a sound mind, the spirit of love, agape. I have that spirit on me. What are you doing? You're boldly declaring something. Shall have whatsoever he saith. Third word say, completely different Greek word, and you're gonna recognize it. Every parent and grandparent recognizes it, Lego. You know what the definition of Lego is? Pain on the feet at night. No, that's not it. That's not it. It does, it does relate. But this is what it means. Building block. The makers of Lego, they made a toy first. They made a toy of building blocks. 
Then they came up with a word that was unusual, that identifies, and they found a Greek word, lego, that means building blocks. What is Jesus telling us? You speak to your mountain, you command it where to go. You boldly declare what you believe in God for, and then you build with your words what you want to see. That's what Jesus is telling us here. He's saying, you can bind on earth, it would be bound in heaven. You can loose on earth, it will be loosed in the heavenlies. Come on. There's nothing you need to bind or loose in the third heaven where God is. That, no, there's no problems there, right? There's, there's, there's nothing uh, uh, in, in peril there. We need to do it here on earth and it needs to happen in the heavenlies. Demons and, and your angels are duking it out in warfare right now in the sky. Don't have a time for a teaching about that, but it's all through the Bible. And your ministering spirits are given and sent to us for the sole purpose of assisting you. Remember when Daniel prayed and the angel, and when he was in the lion's den, and the angel came, how many days later? 21 days later. What did he say to Daniel? I heard you the first time when you prayed. But demonic forces have restricted me from getting to you. What's he telling us? There's a warfare going on up there. And that angel heard Daniel's words or prayer when he spoke it. So you know what that tells me? I'm gonna speak something and pray something every day just in case there's a delay. I'm gonna cast it on every wave. Why? Because I need every day answered prayer. Come on, somebody. Well, I don't think I believe it like that. You won't have any answered prayer then, will you? I believe it like that. Not only do I believe the Word teaches that, I've lived it. So here's what I want to end with today. About eight years ago, I was shaving one morning, and I don't turn on the, my phone, I don't turn on the radio, I don't turn on television. I have a clock radio, but um, I don't set it on the radio. If I need to know the weather, I'll stick my head outside. You see, when I get up in the morning, my mind's not alert yet. Yours isn't either. Your body's not completely awake, but you were created in the same image of God, in the spirit, and your spirit never went to sleep because he never sleeps or slumbers. Your spirit's been awake all night long. It never goes to sleep. So I got in there and I, used the hot wash cloth to, to soften my beard. I'd put it on four or five times and just heat up my beard and soften it. Then I leather up. And as I'm shaving on my right side, I hear these words. Carter will make a play for Melinda within three weeks. I asked the Lord, who's Carter? He said, Melinda knows. Melinda's our daughter. Our daughter's in her 30s at, this at that time. I won't tell you how old she is now. 
she would not appreciate it. But I stuck my head out of the bathroom door. My, my wife is through, 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 the, through the doorway and into her, her uh, uh, home office. I said, honey, I just heard from the Spirit of God to, uh, to tell Melinda that Carter will make a play for her within three weeks. She asked the same thing, who's Carter? I said, I don't know. The Lord said, she'll know who it is. I'm just finishing shaving the other side of my neck. I'm, I'm, I'm rinsing off and my wife knocks on the door. I open the door. She said, Melinda just called. I said, what'd she say? Oh, dad, no way. I'm married, he's married, no way. Three weeks later, all their, all their executive corporate staff, Carter's the CEO of the company. Melinda is uh, an executive vice president. There are several VPs. They're at this posh hotel in the Galleria section of Houston, one of those three to $500 a night kind of places. Small meeting rooms where they're, they're doing some seminars and they're, they're uh, meeting with clients for their business, et cetera, et cetera. They just come from, from dinner back to the hotel that night. They're gonna leave town the next day. She's walking down the hall. Her room's at the end of the hall. She gets her key card out, but she hears these steps coming. Everybody else has gone in the rooms, but who, who's coming behind? She turns around, guess who it is? It's Carter. He's got a suite downstairs. What's he doing upstairs? So she, she gets the, the key card in the door and unlocks it and he pushes her from behind into the room, slams the door and he grabs her and embraces her and starts kissing her and telling her how much he wants her. And he knows that she wants him. And she began to push him off and she pushed him off and she punched him in the nose, scratched his neck while he was embracing her. He came at her again. She said, if you come any closer, I'm gonna kick you. You'll never have, be able to have sex or kids ever again. You know what? That's what you do to a bully. You don't negotiate with a bully. You cannot legislate bullying out of the schools or the neighborhoods. Bullying is not new, it's been here forever. Satan was the first bully in the Garden of Eden. There's always been bullies. Teach your kids to defend themselves. Come on. We sissified our kids. Come on, I thought I'd get better applause from West Virginia than that. You know, Northern Virginia, they're a bunch of sissies over there. Come on, this is West Virginia. We need to punch them in the nose. Sin doesn't negotiate. If you're teaching your children to just turn the other cheek when they're physically assaulted, you're teaching them they're gonna be a victim the rest of their lives. Did you hear what I just said? What about turning the other cheek? Not talking about physical violence. We misread the scriptures all the time. There's so much religiosity in the scripture. When we read the story of Jesus and the money changers in the temple, go read it again. 
And the science and the background is proven that Jesus took the time to make his own whip. That was a premeditated cleansing of the temple. Jesus whipped those crooks right out of the church. He made his own whip. It's a premeditated butt whipping. She punched him in the nose. She threatened him, if you don't leave now, I'm gonna scream and kick you so hard, you won't be able to have kids. He left and she was shaken and she called down a few doors down to another VP friend that was an older lady that she'd, she'd, she'd actually hired her years before. She came down and she saw how shaken my daughter was. She said, what happened? She told her the story. She said, I, I'm so sorry this happened to you, but I'm glad it happened because you'll do something about it. And I've been waiting for someone else to do something about this because he has sexually assaulted other women in our company and nobody would do anything about it. It's time for the church to rise up and be a voice in our schools and our communities again, instead of just hiding our head in the sand. It's time for us to speak truth in our societies. Come on, somebody. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. It doesn't say kindness exalts a nation. Well, if I'm just gonna be kind to the devil in his crowd, everything will change. No, it won't. Righteousness exalts a nation. Come on, somebody. Those are the messages that Jonathan Edwards preached up and down the colonies in the 1600s. And it sparked a re spiritual revival, which sparked a revolution against British tyranny. We, we've forgotten our homework. The first Ivy League schools, which Ivy, some of you know this, some of you don't know this. The reason it's called Ivy League schools is because originally there were four schools, and that's four. That's why it's called the Ivy League schools. Penn, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton, they were the original schools, and they were all, every one of them, were seminaries, preaching, excuse me, teaching and training preachers and ministers, and then they had academic work. It's a long and far cry from that today, but that's what it started at. We've lost our voice in the church of Jesus Christ and we've let the libs come in and take our schools and our universities and indoctrinate our children into socialism and foolishness and sexual perversion. My preaching is way better than your shouting. So much so that we have even teenagers in this room that have accepted and young people that have accepted that it's okay to have a gay lifestyle. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's anti-God. It's unnatural. The plumbing doesn't work, darling. Do I need to be graphic about it? I think you can figure it out. But we've bowed and we've cowed to it. This wasn't in the first message. And it got quiet, didn't it? And I have a gay lesbian stepsister. She knows exactly where I stand. She's come to hear me preach. 
My own dad hasn't heard, didn't hear me preach. He does now every Sunday because he's in heaven, but she's heard me preach. We've had discussions, arguments, but we walk in love. She knows I love her. It's funny when, when bad things happen to her, and they do, guess who she calls? She doesn't call people who believe the same thing she does. She doesn't call her so-called pastor that endorses gay lifestyle in the Methodist church. She calls me or my brother. I need help with this. I need prayer for this. And we help her, we pray for her. We visit her. We help her as much as we can. Here's my point. What we continually tolerate we will eventually accept. We've tolerated this junk too long. Jesus is coming after a righteous church, a glorious church. He's not coming after a, 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 a church of compromise. He's coming after a glorious church. The glory only follows the purity. Come on, somebody. We've got to get back to the basics. The next day in the meeting, they're closing meeting before they all leave town, fly out. That executive VP, that older lady, brings it to the other board members that are there and explains what's just happened. This is not the first time. He was fired and my daughter became the CEO of the company. About four or five years ago, she sold out her part, all of her stock, got a lot of money out of it. Now she builds million dollar houses, something she's always wanted to do, something I used to do as a young man. But the technology in this phone, they call it a smartphone, I keep finding out how less, less and less smart it is, has all kinds of information. We can log in right now, we can find out what the temperature is and what the forecast is in Jerusalem. Not that it will come to pass, but we can find out what the forecast is. But all the information, the details that are in this phone, which is a powerful device, it's more powerful than the computer that they sent man to the moon 50 years ago. That's mind boggling and we can put it in our pocket. But this cannot predict and do what we didn't read in John 16, where it said Jesus, Jesus said this, when the spirit of truth has come, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit shall not speak of himself, but he'll speak of those things which he hears from the Father, and he will show you things to come. In other words, my smartphone didn't tell me that Carter was make, gonna make a play for Melinda because it did not know, but the Holy Spirit knew. The Holy Spirit knows things about your future, your afternoon, your evening, your tomorrow, your next week, your next year. And if you're paying attention and you'll develop that, that redemptive revelation on the inside of you, and you'll pray in the Holy Spirit. You'll pray on a regular basis and you'll worship him. He'll reveal things to you if you're listening. 
But at the same time, the devil's gonna try to continue to bombard you with voices and noises and static. But you tune past the static and you get on the right channel. I call it the pneuma channel, the spirit channel. You tune into the spirit channel and he'll show you things to come. God has used me to save nine people's lives from imminent death, car accidents, airplane accidents, all because the Lord told me, exit this exit, go four miles east, go two miles west, a mile south. He's told me those things. Well, you're a preacher. I'm a Christian, I'm not a preacher doing that. I'm, I'm just a human driving down the highway. And I'll stop at this intersection or at this place, out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, Lord, I'm here, what do I do now? And within seconds, this four wheel drive, one ton pickup is going the speed limit down a far in the market highway. But this car loaded with nine Hispanic members ran the stop sign right in front of that truck going 60 miles an hour, T-boned them. The car, right, Ford Taurus, right before my very eyes, the car bent around the front of that big steel rancher bumper on the front of that Ford F-350. Blew it across a gully or a ditch up on to the embankment and wrapped around the other way of a utility pole and the car broke in half. Bodies flew everywhere. I didn't know there were nine there. I thought there were eight. I revived some. This is 40 miles out in the country. It's so far out in the country, you lose some letters, it was just country. <laughs> that rancher didn't even phase his truck. He called 911 immediately. He, he knew the local sheriff. He called him immediately. Two life flight helicopters flew over 100 miles to get. They would have all died if I had not been there. The only one that I didn't save was a little baby that I never saw. I didn't get to pray for that baby. But that baby went to heaven. And that's what I had to tell those parents. Your baby went to heaven. But the only way you're gonna go to heaven because of your sin is if you repent and you ask Jesus into your heart. That's the only way you're gonna to get to see your baby. I drove some of those victims in my vehicle, my rental car, south toward that city, Lubbock. I'm following two ambulances, but they couldn't get everybody in two ambulances. 
I'm following a sheriff. He's got some in his car. And the life of the helicopters landed on the service road of the interstate out in the middle of nowhere. And we pulled off and exited there. And we loaded those victims into those helicopters and every one of them lived. Every one of them was healed and whole. They came back from death. Now here's my point. That, I'm just counting that as one time. I'm not counting them as the nine people. That's just one time. Eight other times the Lord has used me very similarly. The Lord wants to use you to help people. He wants to show you things to come. The first person you're gonna help is you. The second person he wants you to help is your mate. The next people he wants you to help is your children, then your grandchildren, then other people, and then perfect strangers. But it's only gonna happen if you have redemptive revelation where you allow him to show you things to come. Well, you say, I don't want that responsibility on me. I promise you those people want you to have that responsibility or they're gonna die. Those eight people, three adults, five children, not including the baby in that Ford Taurus are all going to heaven because I heard and saw vision. I didn't see it with my natural eyes, but I saw it by the Spirit of God. God wants you to have spiritual vision. It will protect you, it will help you, it will heal you. It will bring great wisdom in your life, promotion in your life. And he can do it, and he will do it, if you'll let him. Let's pray.